We all know dental school is hard, but being a dentist in the real world is even harder. And what about all those things they don't teach you in dental school, like how to talk to patients and when to buy a practice? New Dentist Boost Camp is here to help you. Easily download and watch 12 hours of valuable CE, giving you tools you will want to implement immediately to help with your day-to-day in the office and lessons that will help you through your entire dental career. Learn from Dr. Paul Goodman and top dental professionals. Gain confidence in crown preps, class 2 composites, root canals, and implants. Increase patient acceptance. Effectively communicate to your patients and your dental team. This beneficial course is $9.95, but because Dental Nachos loves to see happy dentists succeeding, they are offering new dentist boost camp to dental students for $3.95. Visit DentalNachos.com slash NDBC for more information and to purchase your discounted download of New Dentist Boost Camp. Watch it and re-watch it anytime. This will be an impactful reference tool that you can continue to learn from and use. Buy it today to help you find a good job, start paying your student loans back faster, and feel great about dentisting. That's what it's all about. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Dental Amigos. And today, we are going to talk about seller financing and dental practice transitions, and it's uh, just you and me. It's a solo amigo show, Yeah, Paul. solo amigo show. I like it. Good. So, uh, do, you, uh, do you have any questions for, for me, Paul, before we uh, get started? Uh... I don't know. Should I? Um, well, uh, I mean, uh, you ask everybody else like what their favorite nachos are, and uh, you never ask me. Oh, you're right. I give you TLC, Rob. So that's that's who we've enjoyed so them. I feel kind of offended. Yeah. You know? so, sorry. I've sorry. Had yeah. Nachos yeah. With yeah. The you. ones closest and, to you. you know, <laughs> my, my closest friend here, and <laughs> yeah. he's never even bothered yeah, no, to ask me no, what kind of nachos no, no, I like. No nacho topping. Uh, Where I want to go for yeah, nachos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so let's say uh, we're going to leave for the podcast and go for nachos. Uh, where would you pick and what topping uh, would you want to get for us? And pay, of course. Not. Of course. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I like blue corn in oh. Philadelphia. You know, where it's we a classic. There. Yeah. yeah. In, uh, in South Philadelphia, which is, uh, used to be uh, the Italian market, has now become like a, an international cultural melting yeah, pot. Great. You know, with uh, Mexican restaurants, Asian restaurants, you still have the Italian classics. But. Blue Corn is on 9th Street, and that's uh, my favorite place, and it's my daughter's favorite place, too. And uh, what I like most about them, too, is they, uh, as per the name of the restaurant, they are blue corn tortillas that they use. Yeah, that's always not ordinary. They're homemade. Nice. Which is really huge. So I'm going to say, like, the foundation of the nachos yeah. is the most important. Core. We've been to core. I like that. And they, they do great chicken nachos that we usually get. And my daughter does not like spicy things. So all the spicy things are yeah, on yeah, the side. Yeah, yeah, on the side, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I live that world, too, with four-year-olds. I, I like that because uh, 
and I do like to know some unique nacho toppings when you go go places. But I, I usually do fall back when I go to new places on some standards because you know it's like it's like those Top Chef shows. I feel like a, a professional nacho taster. I want that job. You got to go with the classics first That's right. before you get off into some obscure obscure topic. Also, even though nachos are always great, and I like all forms of nachos, if you pick too crazy a topping it, it can ruin the whole the whole the whole thing so you know it's true i'll, I'll take that at heart. the end of the day it's still about the nachos yes right? exactly the the, the course so yeah well, uh, when you come to visit us in philly we'll go to a blue corn in the italian market so yeah i'm excited to talk about seller financing rob as a transitions uh broker and someone who buys practices i've heard of this topic it crosses my plate sometime but i'm glad to have you help our listeners and me understand more about it so just in the most basic sense what is seller financing yeah, so what we're talking about here is where a seller is selling the dental practice and is going to hold a part of the note or hold a part of the loan or possibly all of the, the purchase gotcha. price. So, you know, one type would be somebody is paying $500,000 for the purchase price. They're getting no bank yeah. financing. All of the financing would be with the seller who is going to be re repaid over time like a bank would. The other type that we see is where a portion of the purchase price is being financed. And that usually comes up when the bank is willing to lend uh, a portion of the purchase price, but not all of it. And then the seller, so that the deal can happen, gotcha. uh, bridges the gap there. And so the difference between what the bank is willing to lend and the purchase price, the seller would then, it, quote unquote, hold the note. Thanks for uh, clarifying. In that first scenario where a seller would hold the entire portion, uh, where do you usually see those come into play story-wise? It was between family members, between people who have worked together for a long time? Really, it depends. So uh, you could have that more in like a buy-in situation, yeah. you know, that's more common uh, because sometimes getting a lender involved in a buy-in may not be uh, ideal because the lender is going to ask for a security interest in the practice and the practice yeah. may not want to lean on their assets. Uh, sometimes you may have a situation where um, the uh, the buyer isn't credit worthy, gotcha. you know, or they couldn't get a loan from the bank, um, and uh, so that that's really where you would see the hundred um, percent. And, and this is a quote I saw a Tony Robbins quote, and I know your job is to do the think the opposite of this for your clients. But tell me first, you know, his quote is think about what happens when things go right. And I know you guys are always dealing and helping people in, in true awareness with. What happens if things go awry? But let's talk about if seller is going to hold the entire purchase price or even portion of it. What makes that right for the seller? I mean, I, just instinctively, I think okay, they earn some interest on it. Uh, there's not a third party involved. What, what what is right for the seller when that happens? Generally, I mean, it helps the deal happen. Okay, that's right? a good point. So yeah. without it, there would be no deal. Um, what it could also be good from a seller's uh, perspective is that you know, maybe a bank isn't willing to lend uh, 100% of the right. purchase price because maybe the pur purchase price is too high yeah. you know, from a, a usual you know, bank underwriting uh, standpoint. So the bank is going to lend on 90% of cash flow uh, or 90% of revenue, rather, then that number is that number. And if it's a quote-unquote premium practice or it has the ability to command a higher price, then you know it might be worth paying more than what the bank is looking at it from an underwriting standpoint. So, you know that can help uh, the seller to uh, to achieve the highest possible sale price for yeah, the practice. That I, that I can see for sure, and especially you know we've talked about we had a great episode about DSOs and you know how purchase prices can get pretty high for things. This is one where in you know a dentist the dentist they could get a 
a higher valuation purchase price and in a win-win for both parties along the way as long as it goes right but now being a rob montgomery the dental focused attorney who sees a lot of things out there where might these things well, start to go kind of sideways well before i answer that question i think it's interesting you mentioned dso's because i you know, we were talking about this earlier i was talking to Anna in my office which she's we've got a couple of deals going on right now where we have seller financing partial seller financing and i think what we're seeing is with with the, quote unquote, the good practices that the competition for a buyer yeah. is a DSO. So, you know, a DSO may be willing to pay the seller top dollar. And the seller may say, I don't want to sell to you. I'd really yeah. rather sell it to an owner operator. But I also would kind of like to get that yes, same sale yeah. price. Very dentist. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I don't plan. <laughs> yeah, that, right? that yeah, I understand. Sure. Very people. Yeah, right, That's right. I understand. I, let's I keep, you know, let's keep Darth Vader out. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, um, but. So the bank come in and look at that and say, well, it's nice that the DSO is going to offer you that. We don't think it's worth that much. So we'll only lend, you know, this amount. So it does help you to kind of uh, to, to bridge that gap. But I think we may be seeing it more and more in the future as, you know, sort of the DSO market and what they how they value practices kind of outpaces yeah. what a lender's willing to do. I think it's a good point too, and maybe this will just kind of bring us into when they do a portion of the sale price because you know it's a transitions broker and I work with banks and I'm you know uh, the go between sometimes they say okay we'll we'll lend your buyer I'm just going to use the value of a million dollars the practice costs a million dollars we'll we'll lend eight hundred thousand dollars but the seller is going to have to hold a note that might be a scenario where it's a uh, like operating a little bit like getting a DSO value but the dentists are working out amongst themselves and. Have you seen when there is a portion, what portion is usually the one that the seller is holding a note for? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's a smaller portion. Yeah. You know, and in part, I mean, the bank, the bank is going to want to be uh, first in line, right? So they're going to have a lien on the, on the practice and the assets, and they're going to want to be secured first. So what that means is if there's a default, then they get paid before the yeah. The second in line, which would be the seller in this case. The bull, I mean, a smaller portion of it, like if they paid $200,000 and the bank gave them $800,000, what length of time is the seller's portion? Is it similar to that? I'm just wondering as a buyer, if it was me right. and I was doing this, I say, okay, sounds good. I'll, I want to, you know, seller will hold some, but can I pay it at the same time as the bank note? Is it a longer period of time or is it usually run concurrently? Okay. So typically it's going to be the same terms as what the bank is okay. asking for. So uh, if the bank has a 10-year loan at 5% for 80% of the uh, of the purchase price, then they're going to require the seller note to be the same, 10-year, 5% for, for the bank. And what, what I, this is a good point to bring up now because, you know, we've worked together on so many different things. And you say, you know, you are my uh, our attorney, which is true. So sometimes I'm in conversations, you know, where I say, well, my attorney thinks that X, Y, Z, and he shared with me X, Y, Z, and this is why. And the person on the other end of the phone isn't talking to you at that moment. So I'm using you as a resource, not, always, not necessarily a bad guy or a good guy as mm -hmm. a resource. So what I found is you know, these sellers are going to be between usually 55 to 70 years old. So they usually have a Rob in their life. That's usually their accountant. And right. I'm just curious to know when I entered, and I've talked about this topic, not as in detail as what you've told me now, but I've, I've broached it with different, different uh, deals that I've been working on. Sometimes they say, well, my accountant says that's never going to work. Or my accountant says they don't want me to do that. 
almost in a very knee-jerk reaction. Like kind of when I asked the moderator or Daphne, do you want to try this thing here? I do not want to try it, right? So I need right. to figure out a way to get her to try peas or to get them to try it. So what, I'm just, just really just uh, me asking for some free, free advice from here on the podcast. Like what is some you good, get free advice. Yeah, thanks. You know, and, what are, and lunch with Yeah, it, yeah, right? lunch. I like that. Yeah, we had a great lunch here. So, uh, you know, when, they're, when anyone's talking about, I mean, you know, we use this as human beings all the time. My wife says, I can't go to this thing. And meanwhile, she's like, I didn't say that. Like, just pretend you said it, right? Because you don't want to go to, I don't know, square dancing with a bunch of people. So they'll say to me, my accountant says, they don't want to hear anything about seller financing. But if I know as the broker or the person involved, or maybe even as the buyer, mm -hmm. what are some ways where you could say, okay, well, the reason we should do this is because I know we talk about the higher purchase price. That part's right. a, a mm -hmm. glowing good nacho. It's the, they're not going to pay you. I mean, that's basically what they're saying. I mean, mm -hmm. take all your money at once. They're not going to pay you. Right. And that's where we get back into the DSO where, you know, I was thinking as you were saying, DSOs have holdbacks, like we talked about with Justin's, right. with Justin. And then now this is sort of a similar type thing. Mm -hmm. So I find this to be a very positive conversation for the transitions world because it's an opportunity for, you know, private dentists to sell to private dentists and get higher values is sure. all good. But how does the seller's advisors get looped in and say, this is going to be okay. Your sell, your client's not going to lose all the money. I think it's important for them to understand the reason for it. And, and that, you know, and, and let's just kind of back up for a second because it's going to depend on the reason for it is going to depend whether or not it's a good idea. So for me, I'm looking at three different ways that we typically see this come into play. One, the cash flow is not going to support what would be a quote unquote premium price, right? Mm -hmm. That's not so bad because basically what you're asking for here is you're asking the, the buyer to finance with you the quote unquote, the overprice, you know, the, yeah. the, the, uh, the, the premium piece right. of it. So like at the end of the day, the worst case scenario is I didn't get the premium. They defaulted. Right. Uh, the other reason could be because the buyer isn't credit worthy. They couldn't right. get a loan. That is a potential problem, right? So if a bank's not going to lend them the money at all, and you have to come up with all the purchase price, that, that's, that's something that you should see that red flag and say, well, why won't the bank lend the money? You right. know? And, and so um, that's a different scenario. Getting those advisors comfortable with that scenario could be hard because it may not be a good idea. Right. Now, sometimes you may be looking at that. It might be the reason might be that the client just graduated dental school six right. months ago and most lenders aren't interested in lending to uh to people at that situation but there could be other reasons so with that that might be a more problematic situation it might be more risky and then the third way that we see it oftentimes is when real estate's involved so if right, you want to yeah. sell your real estate and the the bank uh the borrower buyer bank is only going to lend 80% of the value, well, there's still this other 20% out there. And if you want to sell your practice, you want to monetize the real estate, which we've talked about yeah. you know, various yes. times in different contexts right on the show, uh, then the way you're going to make that happen is to hold a note for the 20% quote unquote down payment. I'm right? pretty familiar with those and that that's happened with more regularity in deals I've been involved with, with the seller financing of the real estate, a portion of it. And that seems to get go through fairly easy because I'm assuming that the seller is thinking, okay, well, they're going to pay their rent and, you know, we're going to, I'm going to get money from that. Um, I've used your term and I, we, I know we share this. So you say, you know, we're not dental offices there. You're not transitioning a gas station. And I always say dental offices are people places, not pizza places. So we kind of use that same right. comment to me. I like it because the seller, you know, if it was me as the seller and I was doing this, uh, 
you know, if I do get that job as a professional nacho taster and I just go worldwide, <laughs> I'm going to sell my practice. But if I'm sure you can get yeah, it, I just don't yeah, know how much it's yeah, going to yeah, pay. Yeah, so right. But uh, I look at it as, to me, the the what dentistry should be about is that, you know, the person who owns the practice does have a vested interest now in the dentist doing well. Right. And, you know, in my own life, you know, when my dad and his partner, they're 50-50 partners in a very classic arrangement for decades. I came in 2005 and we, you know, the, his partner held 50% of the buyout and 50% from a bank, but we knew he was going to be around. He stayed around for seven years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just when he walked into the office, you know, uh, he had a vested interest in making it go well. And, right. you know, he probably would have done that anyway. So it doesn't mean that sellers should feel offended. You know, if I say, but it's just, you know, I, you know, you, you, I mean, people are people when they give you a free coffee card for, for, you know, the 10th coffee's free, you think of it. And, right. you know, I think it's all good because, you know, the seller's thinking, okay, well now I have a vested interest in making this buyer successful and we're going to work like a team. I mean, have you seen this post transition, you know, when, you guys have the deal. Everyone has the cigars and champagne, and then three years later, it's going well. Or yes and no. Okay, so good. Yeah. That cuts two ways, yeah. right? So you're 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 looking at it the optimistic way, which is maybe the healthy way to look at it, right? So that's everything's going to be good. We're going to you know keep the seller involved here, and he's going to have he or she's going to have skin in the game. That can be a good thing. The other way of looking at that, or the way of thinking that it could go a different direction, is if you're going to borrow money from a dentist, that's very different than borrowing money from a bank because the dentist, the seller ultimately has the ability to be a dentist in that location again. Right. So if you default it in a loan with a bank, the bank's going to try to cut a deal with you. There are people that look at the scenario where the seller is holding a note as a potential business opportunity for the seller, where if the loan goes into default, the seller could come back and get the practice back oh, after having received money, okay? And while, while the bank can't do dentistry, the seller can. So now you have a lender who may have an incentive to be tough or to try and make life more difficult if they are kind of a predatory personality. It's a little paranoid, yeah. Paul, but I wouldn't necessarily talk people out of it, and I've suggested that in certain circumstances. I will tell you, we've had deals where we've had seller financing, where the seller is still involved in the practice afterwards, and they have been a complete pain in the neck, and I think they've done whatever they can to try to make the whole thing fail. So I can't say that that's total crazy talk. Um, we have seen it. So that that cuts both ways. I mean, I think we're kind of, this is such a good topic for the theme of our podcast of knowing your why and being purposeful, because when, you, when I'm having this conversation, I know I tend to be a positive, optimistic guy, I would think, that the seller doesn't want the practice back. It'd almost be like, you know, you know, like grandkids come back to live with you. It's like, no, 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 I'll help you make sure this doesn't go bad right. because I don't, I, I've already made a decision in my life where I'm moving on to phase, the next phase, right. and I'll help you, but it would be bad for me to get this practice back emotionally. Like, you know, I don't want to be in charge of it again. I know you've seen things mm -hmm. go go different. I just, um, uh, but all like, depends. It all depends why the person's selling. You yeah. know, if it's somebody that's truly done, you know, and they're ready to, to walk out and be, you know, or, watch or just, of it. But that, that's the good deal, right? When we, when we talk to people, you know, our first conversation with a potential client as a buyer is, why is the seller selling? It, probably you too, Paul, from the, in the broker role. I like, mean, this is such a good topic too and point because I've said this before and we do a lot with associates. Same thing with buyers is, you know, you can't date a job. You can't date a job. You got to go in there and work. 
Same thing with these transitions. And I guess I'm just coming at it from, you know, I was in the office. I mean, obviously before I was a dentist, my dad's partner worked with us seven years post-transition. I knew him beforehand. So everyone knew each other, good, bad, or indifferent, and just knew how people operated. Mm -hmm. So the way he acted and was just what we thought of, right? You know, he was not into staff management at all, so we didn't expect him to start being into staff management. Uh, I guess that's part of it is you just don't really know the intention truly of why people are are selling or buying. And I, what I was going to say was thinking is, I think sellers, and I even myself as an owner of more than one practice, and I've learned a lot as a broker and from Europe, it's like you really have to realize you're selling the goodwill of your practice, right? Mm-hmm. Without it, you do a startup like you and Jamie right. do. So this right. is like sellers should be like buyers have the opportunity to do a startup or buy a practice. I mean, those are the two opportunities. They both have um, good parts and bad parts. But it's like, you know, that's I just take that seriously as an owner that like I would be selling the goodwill of my practice. And, you know, I would want to do everything possible to transfer it well, help the buyer afterwards. And if I had, you know, the quote skin in the game with money, then I really would be into it. But, you know, I, I, you're kind of showing us the full circle circle here. Uh, There's some people out there that aren't good, though, Paul. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> they think differently. I mean, so right? what, what about you as the – now, I mean, you, you, you work a lot with buyers. So do you ever have this put upon your buyer without you involved? And, like, you know, how do you deal with the buyer when you're coaching them, so to speak, like – or working with them? So now we're, you know, we're talking about sellers, and they, you have a buyer saying, I'm going to buy this practice – do you look at that as favorable for your buyer? Or I know you kind of said in between just there or? Again, it depends what the reason is, right? So I think that, you know, in some sense, some semblance, it can be the mechanism for them to overpay. I mean, to me, it's a red flag right away yeah. from uh, if I'm representing a buyer. Because if the bank won't lend the money, then I want to know why. Right. You know, and maybe you're paying for something that is worth less than what you're paying for. Right. But. You know, this is something that a recurring theme, people are probably sick of hearing yeah. us talk about it, but here it comes again. It's all about cash flow. Yeah. You know, ultimately, if somebody says, hey, I can quote unquote overpay for this practice and get the, uh, you know, uh, a seller note that's going to be above and beyond what the bank will lend me. And after that, the cash flow is still good. I'm still bringing home, example, $350,000 after I do that, then that's a better deal than going out and doing a, a, a purchase where you're going to have 100% you know, bank financing where your net cash flow is $250,000, yeah. right? If everything else is equal, that's what matters. you know. But here's the thing, that's the red flag. And, and it doesn't mean that it's a, it's a total stop here, right. kill the deal, but let's now look at why the bank won't lend that money is the cash flow still going to be strong? Do the cash flow analysis with your your CPA. Understand what this is going to mean to you at the end of the day. And if the cash flow is still strong, then this is just an additional cost of doing business. However, if the cash flow is not right. strong, as with any deal, you should reconsider whether or not this is the right thing to do. So again, I, I always tell people, you know, I don't really care about valuations. And this right. is sort of like a continuation of that. I want to talk about cash flow. You're going to do this deal. How much money are you going to make? Not whether or not you're paying the right price. A lot of times those two line up, but not always. And, and the cash flow is way more important than... It's an imp- it's important point. And, you know, since I wear all these different hats, one's a fedora now, just joking. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I actually encourage, and you know, 
owners of dental practices, 40, 45, 50, 55, a lot of it's like if, if I asked people how handsome I was and I wanted the best answer, I want to go back to my grandmother, Baba, because she would tell me I was the most handsome boy on planet Earth. <laughs> but that's probably not true. And these practices, the owners just get their miss, even before they're going to sell and all this stuff, and they come at it in a place that's difficult to unwind emotionally for them. So I encourage them to, you know, just be, it's like people step on the scale and they find out how much they weigh. And they, right. you know, they've had this body their life, you know, and say, okay, you're a 41-year-old dad like me. You got, you know, you don't exercise as much. You gain 10 pounds. That's the reality. You know your own body. They need to do this with their practices because the things we've talked about, if you ask owners about the cash flow of their practice and what it relates to their value at age 47, they're unaware. Right. And it just helps manage their expectations. The part I wanted to bring up with you, Rob, since I always like bring up this, like, since you don't drill on teeth thing. So this is the segment, since you don't drill on teeth, you can't understand our people. <laughs> and that's, um, you know, we talked about DSOs. You know, you could sell to a DSO, or maybe you could sell to a seller financing, or maybe you could sell to a group like Paul and Jeff Goodman, something like that. The thing about the selling to a DSO or even to us as a group, if we kept the person in place, there's a practice down the street and I say, okay, I buy it and you, I'll operate like a DSO, you work their seller, or you can sell it to a young dentist as with seller financing. The dentist have to realize how much they're willing to work with another dentist on a daily basis, because right. that's just the thing that they don't understand. You've never worked with a dentist before. So the DSOs unrelated to the money, they sort of say, we'll purchase your practice. And then you just keep being you. And we might change blue pens to black pens. We right. have to do this. But that personality type, which dentists might even not know about themselves, is a lot of times what they want because they don't have to go into their office and see another dentist. In these scenarios, which I love, I like group practice and I like seeing other dentists, but sometimes we're asking these dentists after they've been out there drilling on teeth for 30 or 40 years, hey, now could you play nicely with another dentist? Right. Somebody so, else is coming onto the yeah, island. And, and right. they could with good intentions, yeah. you know? And, and, it, it's, and they're just, they've never exercised these muscles of just, I mean, it's what we talk about our CE courses and, you know, right. dentist team boost and everything. It's like they have not spoken to other dentists in a meaningful way in 30 or 40 years. And now they're having one thrust into their daily business who could be the most energetic, nicest young dentist, but they're just didn't realize, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I was with these shows, like when they get the bad roommate, right? It's right, like, you know, right. it's like, they look so nice. They were going to make, they were going to make paella, but they're very <laughs> annoying. But I don't care about the paella. So, Hey, you know, uh, it's just, it's so much of it though. It comes back to just being realistic about what you're doing from a, from an economic and practical standpoint, you know? You can't expect that you're going to hire an associate and make more money the next day. You yeah. can't expect that you're going to bring on a partner and make more money the next day. You can't expect that you're going to sell your practice and have the same level of control as you had before. Or you can't expect that if you've never worked with somebody, now all of a sudden you are going to work right, with yeah. somebody, that it's going to be different. It's just really about being realistic to yourself and not, you know, not kidding yourself. It's a, it's a point. It's even like, you know, when I come in and interrupt the flow here at the Montgomery Law, uh, you know, it's also just like this. Like, what if I said, okay, uh, can I watch you type and talk on the phone all day, Rob? And you'd be like, I guess, right? But it would make you feel a little uh, awkward. No. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have actual, you know, you could say clients here, but that's kind of what these dentists are doing with each other. Yeah. They're not necessarily in the operatory. Right. But that's why I just encourage, like you said, dentists to think about this. And just like, you know, we talk a lot about purposeful financial planning. I just believe that dentists should start thinking about this early in their career, purposeful transition planning, you know, how they're going to transition out of dentistry. If they have to due to an injury, illness, or something worse, if they want to, uh, sometimes, and you see this, and, you know, Justin, sometimes an amazing deal comes along, right. and uh, you got to be ready for it. So I think the seller financing piece is just a, a, another a nacho on that plate. Yeah, it definitely is. And But, you know, all these things are, it's case by case, and this is... 
as much as any issue that we deal about with uh, is about uh, you know getting you know advice for that particular situation. Yeah. This is not one size fits all. You know, does seller financing work? Sometimes, depending on the deal. Does it work for the seller? Sometimes, depending on the deal. Does it work for the buyer? Sometimes, depending on the deal. And you know, I do want to talk a little bit about sort of things to look out for if you're a seller and you're holding Great. these notes. But before we do, one thing that we've seen come up a few times that people should be careful about. You know, when I say don't obsess about overpaying for a practice or paying more than what the bank values, uh, when it comes to real estate, you do have to be careful about gotcha, that. Okay. So it's one thing if you're paying a little bit more for this goodwill, but if you're gonna pay more for the real estate than what it is worth or what it appraises for, you could have problems down the road when it comes time to sell the practice. Because if, the buyer is going to go out and get a loan for the to acquire the practice and to acquire the real estate. That buyer's lender is going to do an appraisal, and they're going to lend whatever eighty percent of loan to value. Can you that. tell me about the process for one second? As you're talking about this, so if I said I'll tell you about a filling, Rob, I walk in, I say, "Hi, I'm Paul, ready to do a filling," and the patient says, "I don't want to be here. I don't like you." I say, "Okay, well, we got to do it anyway." Then I make them numb, drill on the tooth, place the filling. <laughs> tell me a little bit about in the real estate part because you just went through something that's like. You're saying don't overpay. How do they even get to how they find out how much the real estate is? Because in this scenario, usually the seller has thrown out something, not necessarily based on any appraisal or valuation, that starts the thought process of the buyer. So I'll say, are you interested in the real estate? And they'll say, well, the seller says it's worth $300,000. And I know you find that it, that might not be the case. Right. Just, just could you walk me through that? Step one, two, three for finding out the valuation of it. Yeah, so uh, the purchase price is $300,000 just for the real estate piece of it. We'll just talk about that specifically. And then there's an actual real estate purchase agreement that says we're going to buy the real estate for $300,000. And commonly you're going to see a contingency in there for financing or in addition an appraisal contingency. What that means is in order for the deal to go through, the practice needs to appraise by the bank's appraisal for three hundred thousand dollars and if it does then the deal goes on if not then the buyer has the ability to to pull the plug okay and that just becomes sort of the opportunity to renegotiate and now bring it back into reality you know if it's close to that 300 probably it's okay we can but the bank the buyer's bank will do like a appraisal am i using this term like a blind appraisal or, or something where they An appraisal right they're appraisal gonna hire, where a, third they hire party. a third party yeah he's gonna go and and and, and say Based on uh, comparable sales in the neighborhood, the size of this building, blah, blah, blah. I think this building is worth. So they come back and I was going to say it's 250 and the seller thinks 300. Then we have a decision to make on this, how we make make this up. Right. Change there. Correct. And so if if it's 250, this is going to be some tough math. Uh, The. the uh, the bank is going to lend whatever you know two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, you know, and the seller so, wants three hundred. Yeah. So uh, while the, the the buyer was planning on coming out of pocket for fifty grand, right? You know, now they're only now they're going to have to come out of pocket a hundred grand. So where's that money coming from, right? Uh, and if the pract in the building rather is only worth you know two hundred thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. Uh, if this, if the if the person that's buying this has to resell it in a few years, 
then and, and the value stays at that level or goes down, the mortgage is going to be higher than right. what it's worth. Just like a practice. You yeah. know, you've said it's hard to, you know, a bad deal will continue yeah, yeah. to haunt you, right? Like yes. you can't give it back and now you've got something it. that's worth yeah. less, right? Same thing with the real estate, but real estate is a little less forgiving. You know, we talk about valuing goodwill in a dental practice. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's you know be honest here. That is not an exact science. Yes, exactly. Not right. Yes. Close, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And but uh, real estate appraisals have kind of, for better or for worse, in a voodoo sort of sort of way, have kind of implied that there is this sort of scientific method yes. for saying what your real estate is worth, you know, um, and and that's a harder thing to get out from. So where we see problems sometimes is where somebody says, "Hey, let's just do uh, seller financing. Don't get the bank involved." Uh, it's $800,000, 400 for the real estate, 400 for the practice. And the person buys that practice and a few years later, like, all right, I still owe $390,000 on this real estate. I need to sell it. And oh, wow, it's worth 250. What am I going to do? You know, and that that's a bad scenario. This all fog falls into find out as much information as possible on your once things, your first practice, first home, first child, first marriage. I mean, you know, whatever your, your, it's important, and uh, you know, Kyle Kivler, one of my coaches. People don't argue with their own decisions. In that scenario that we're talking about, three hundred bank only gives two hundred. The seller has the ability to still keep the real estate. So I mean, right. the seller can be put feet to the fire, whatever you say. They could say, "Hey, you can sell it for two sixty-five, an extra fifteen, or you can keep it." Right. And you know, uh, that I've seen, you know, can throw monkey wrenches into it. But there's there's workable solutions. It just kind of goes back to dentist not being used to being in these worlds where they have these conversations. Right. And, you know, it's very Game of Thrones esque or King of the Castle. We're changing composites. Who do I have to ask myself? You know, we're doing this and now they're the first time and sometimes at an age where they don't really want to or thrust into this. And I, and I feel for them too, because, you know, they didn't practice it, but I've, I've had these scenarios happen on deals where, you know, there's a lot of emotion, sometimes just anger mm -hmm. at nobody in particular, you right. know, sometimes me for no reason, um, right. you know, and uh, that's why I think, you know, getting appraisals of your building and things along the way when you do things is probably worthwhile to manage your own expectations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's also important to, to realize that, you know, with these deals, what's best for one person is not best for yeah. somebody else. So if you say, Hey, my buddy sold his practice in his real estate, I want to do that too. Like that might be a good idea for you, but it may not be, you know, depending right. on be, your particular situation. Be mentally flexible. I mean, that's, that's what I say. I, I coach. So now I've learned a lot in the, in the time I've been doing, it. I say to sellers, don't be, don't be as a married or don't be set on one thing right now. Let's see, because you might find that. And I mean, we, we've talked about I mean, the most important part is finding the dentist to buy the practice. And right. you have to be more mentally flexible on the real estate in either way. If they found the dentist and want to buy the practice, even if you wanted to collect rent for the next decade and they want to buy your real estate, it might be worthwhile to sell it and give up the rent for the next decade because they're buying the thing that only certain people can buy your practice. Right, right, right. absolutely. Uh, yeah, flexibility and, and keeping an open mind especially when the open mind is being open-minded about what's best for you to right. achieve your goals is, yeah. is, uh, is a key. And our, you know, our quote unquote, our good clients are the people that are able to do that. The people yeah. that just kind of come in in a very myopic way and say, this is what I'm doing. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll help them, but you know, they're, they're not getting, uh, they're not getting all that they can. You know, and this isn't a plug. You know, we, we talk about using a broker, or not using a broker. It's not a plug to always use your broker. But one of the things about using a person who can bring you more than one buyer is that you can compare and contrast. And I find that these get yeah. extra stuck emotionally when people have only met one buyer and they bring them from their past. And it's like, they're, you know, they, 
just like dating, compare and contrast. And, you know, I, I think that's just the value of meeting multiple people who might want to buy your business. It's the, the biggest thing you've built in your life. And uh, it allows the sellers to at least have their expectations managed that this is normal. Right? right. I mean, we use 13th Street as an example. If I take people on 13th Street to dinner and we go to a restaurant and I say, oh, it's an hour and a half wait. So they sometimes get mad. I go, well, this is normal here. Right. Right. Then you go to the next one, Barbuzo, Alves, Hamanero. And now they're like, OK, I see this is a popular street. It's just, right. you know, uh, you have no it, if you have you have no baseline, you have no basis to compare. Yeah. Right? So, so right. I just that's think that's, sure. that's important. You want to say something about the buyer? Um, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I'm going to talk about sort of what briefly what, what you know, a seller should be aware of okay. and look for. So. You know, one thing, you know, first and foremost is, you know, doing the due diligence on the credit worthiness of right. the buyer or the borrower, you know, and we, uh, we've had situations, especially recently where, you know, a client is a seller and says, you know, I want to do this. I'm going to hold the paper. And we ask if they've reviewed the tax returns for the, for the buyer and they haven't, or they've sure. they seen a credit score. They haven't, you know, and it's like, okay, well, why would you How do they lend do money that? to I mean, people? In the most basic sense, how do you determine the credit worthiness of a buyer or what do you recommend people do kind of the same way that a bank would and, it, and again it depends on the situation so if you're looking at purchasing or uh, uh, selling your practice and holding paper for the difference between you know what the bank's willing to lend and what the purchase price is that's kind of a less risky thing i mean you've already had somebody else vet that deal right yeah. so you know whomever you know bank of america has gone and they've done their underwriting and they've deemed this this is what it's what it's yeah. worth and we think it's okay then you know you can kind of jump on there and say okay I'll, I'll have one of those too right yeah but um in the situation where there is no financing or the uh you know because the uh the borrower has either not pursued it or they've been rejected then you need to, to do some serious due diligence. And I think with that, what you're looking at is you want to look at credit score. You want to look at, at a personal financial statement to see what this person owns and what they yeah. owe and look at tax returns and see what they've been making, possibly see what their spouse makes and then make the same kind of decision that a bank would make when they're going to make a loan. Um, but just because you think that he or she is a nice person, that's probably not that's not sufficient due diligence when it comes to you know, lending money. Yeah, it's important. And it's kind of like, I know I'm a uh, fan of these catchphrases like, you know, get your nacho ducks in a row. But I was just talking to a buyer last night and, you know, he said, <laughs> not Lost. heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just had nacho in the front of it. You know, Got uh, it. <laughs> they, so it's like, you know, these buyers, I, I encourage them because listen, to get their portfolios in in line so that they're ready when these things happen because you know i was just talking to a young dentist who said he lost out to two deals to corporate dentistry and uh some of it is just being able to act fast show what you're showing so if they say let's look at your credit worthiness and they say okay it's going to take me three weeks to get that together right and this is all stuff that people can be prepared for prior to these deals happening you know right it's like i i'm always hungry ready to eat nachos i'm prepared so it's like you know be ready with what you have so that you can share this information um because, you know, as a broker, uh, or and I'm sure as an attorney too, you just get a vibe from people. Mm -hmm. And the vibe is like, I'm ready to do this or I'm not. And, you know, the seller might be considering seller financing. But if they don't think the person is really ready to do it, uh, you know, I mean, if Daphne ran up to, to the three of us here uh, and she needed 10 bucks, she's taking 10 bucks for the first person who can get it, give it to her. So <laughs> you take it out of your pocket, you win, Rob. I'm like, Daphne, I'm going to get 10 bucks from upstairs. Uh, and, you know, uh, Dan says, I'm going to go and get Venmo you. He's just going to take the $10. It's normal, you know. Right. So it's the vibe of how ready you are. So I think that's, you know, uh, fits there, too. Yeah, and uh, I totally agree. And I think the other thing, too, that, you know, uh, a seller uh, has to be aware of if there is bank financing, 
that by lending this money, you are going to be second in line, as I said at the outset. And that, that means if the, if the, the practice uh, doesn't do well, the buyer defaults on their loan with the bank, then you're going to be second in line. Yeah. So and that, that's referred to as subordination. And so, um, but it's important just generally with, with a loan to make sure that you are, it's paper, quote unquote, papered right. Yeah. That, you know, there, there is a promissory note, there is a security agreement, which is a, a lien on the, uh, on the assets. You may get a personal guarantee from the, uh, from the buyer. The buyer's going to buy yeah. as, as an entity, right? And so you want to have the ability as a seller to have recourse against the individual if they don't pay you. Uh, and if there is uh, real estate involved, you're looking at a mortgage. It would be a second mortgage, yeah. just like a lot of people have home equity loans or second mortgages on their home. Same thing if you're you're a seller that's holding the paper, um, you would have a, a second lien on that on that real estate. But you know, it really, it's important to have all that papered up and document it, just like a bank would, because it's that same kind of transaction. It's a serious deal that you yeah. need to do all you can to stack the deck to make sure that you're going to get paid. And if you can't try to maximize your ability to, uh, to recover in the event of a default. I think we, you know, that's great info and to bring it back to a way that I can understand, you know, when you talked about blue corn being your first, your favorite place, and this is really important because what I think sellers need to say to me is, you know, what are my patients going to say when I retire? And I said, they're going to say what you train. They're going to think what you train them to think. What are they going to think? And, you know, doesn't mean retire doesn't have to be leave forever. But if I was doing this, and I mean, I do this in my own practice with our associates, I get our patients comfortable with seeing everyone in the practice. So while I may do the majority of the implant work, I want them to know about Dr. On, Dr. Evan, Dr. Lisa, Jeff, and they get used to this culture. But then when it's a too too sharp of a demarcation and they say, okay, well, here's your new dentist. That's where usually the buyer has the problem. Not that they can't execute the work. Right. They can make the nachos. Sure. They just don't want the nachos from that person. So it would be like, if you said blue corn is the only place in the city to go to, uh, you might say, you know, blue corn's good. Also Elvez, also mission. So I, you know, that's what the buyer, that's what the seller's there to do. Hey, we're bringing someone into this practice who does this just like I do. Right. And I actually believe there could be a course on this for sellers. I would like to teach it because it's about your words that they've never had to use. So it's like a language that they've never had to use. And they've had people looking at them for 30 or 40 years being their person. And now you're telling them you're not going to be their person. Sometimes the patients are actually offended. Right. And it, there's, we've talked about that. There's just so many layers to this and it happens very quickly. So, you know, sellers would just start to think of, you're going to have another dentist in there. How am I going to present this in the most positive way? And what's interesting is, uh, the patients are fine as long as it's presented right. It's the dentist that dentist it. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the patients are just patients. Like, okay, if you tell me that, you know, Dr. On's good for a filling, I'll try it with right. Dr. On. Right. You know, just just try it. That's what we just, just Just try nachos at Mission. See how you think. If you don't like them at Mission, you can come back to Blue Corn. I will personally, personally hit you. And then what they actually wind up uh, finding out, Rob, is they like them at both places. Right. Now they've got two dentists. It's mm-hmm. even better. So, you know, that's just my dentist input on this. Oh, well, that's it. I mean, what yeah. you're talking about is the ability to transition goodwill. Yeah. And and that's what makes a deal risky or not, you know, and to the extent you could stack the deck and, and do a good trans, uh, transition, one that works for the buyer and the seller, then that's a deal that's that you know, the seller and the buyer are going to prosper. Yeah. And then when the buyer prospers, they're able to pay their loan, yeah. you know, whether it's to the yeah. bank or Shared to the seller. Shared goals, right? It's Shared good for everybody. Process. Yeah. Well, I've uh, really enjoyed learning about seller financing, Rob. I've, uh, as usual, you have uh, opened my mind to more things that happen here behind the scenes on your a- attorney world. And uh, 
appreciate the insight. Yeah, it's uh, fun talking about it. It's obviously something that comes up. And, you know, uh, we talked about doing this on the show this week. I've realized it's been coming up more and more frequently. So we figured let's uh, talk about it. So hopefully there's some good information here for our listeners. And uh, as always, uh, if you enjoy the show, please uh, jump on iTunes or Google Play or however you listen to podcasts. And uh Give us a good review, and if you didn't like it, please don't give us a good <laughs> yeah, review. Yeah, or, or buy some margarita at Blue Corn and have it nachos. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Talk to you next time. It's time to match a face to the voice. Come to the Dennis and Team Boost Festival to meet the Dental Amigos in person. Friday, May 31st, and Saturday, June 1st, Dr. Paul Goodman will be hosting an exciting dentistry event in Center City, Philadelphia, featuring all-stars in the dental industry. You'll have the opportunity to meet and mingle with industry leaders, including Robert Montgomery, Mark Costas, Desiree Yazdan, and more. Learn in a dynamic atmosphere from dentists who are creating innovative procedures and sharing their reliable approaches. Go to dentalnachos.com for more information and to purchase your tickets. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.